We've been working our way through Ephesians and we've been talking about the fact that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're walking according to the calling that w- with which we've been called. And then finally, we're standing our ground, standing our ground against an enemy that wants to take us out, that wants to reclaim maybe some of that ground. And so we need to stand. What does it mean to stand and what does scripture have to say about our standing in Christ? And I wanted to show this to start us off. Scripture has a lot to say about our standing and here's what it says specifically regarding standing. It says we, are, we stand in grace, Romans 5.2. We stand in the gospel. Next week we're gonna be talking about the feet prepared with the gospel of peace. What does that mean? Well, we stand in the gospel. We stand in courage and strength, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. We stand in faith. We stand in Christian liberty, Galatians 5, verse 1. We stand in Christian unity, Philippians 1, 27. We stand in the Lord, Philippians 4, 1. We should stand perfect and complete in the will of God. There's a lot, when we say we're standing in Christ, we're saying a lot just by using that word. It means we're going to be attacked. It means that we must not be frightened. We need to have courage. It means that we must not droop or slouch or be uncertain or half-hearted about all of this. It means we need to be at our position and alert to what's going on. And it means that we do not even give a thought to retreat. I spoke about that last week a little bit with the armor. Mainly it's a defensive armor. We're standing our enemy, facing our enemy. and We do not run in fear from our enemy. That's not what our armor is all about. So we're gonna be t- looking today at the breastplate of righteousness. I just wanna read Ephesians 6, 13 and 14. Again, we're moving on in this series, picking out each piece of armor and focusing on each one specifically. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, guess what? Stand, that's what you're to do. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, that was last week. Make sure all those loose ends of our life are tied in and tucked in to God's truth. Don't be flapping in the wind out there in warfare. Tie it all together so that you can move that unity that truth brings. And then secondly, and today, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate of righteousness in place. This is not our breastplate of righteousness. This is God's. We've seen that with the truth belt of truth last week. Today, Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, here's what it says about this breastplate of righteousness. He, speaking of God, he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. We're gonna talk about that a little later, the helmet of salvation. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. And in the verses right after this, it talks about how he's gonna bring justice. He's gonna answer the enemy. He's gonna bring about swift judgment. But then, I love verse 20, because it says the Redeemer will come to Zion, 
to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. Our God has a breastplate of righteousness and he gives it to us. He is our righteousness. Christ is our righteousness and Christ is our redeemer. We come to him for the forgiveness of our sins. So as we talk about this armor, it's not me. It's, about, it's not about us putting on whatever we have. It's about him. So what is this breastplate of righteousness? What is righteousness? Well, I want to start off by saying what it's clearly not. It's not self-righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness that covers and protects me. We are protected by the armor of God, not our own armor. It's not something I earned. It's not an earned righteousness. It's not a feeling of righteousness. I remember that story that Jesus tells of the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple. And you have really two attitudes there on display that as Jesus tells the story. There's the Pharisee who's there and as this tax collector's over in the corner repenting of his sin and just laying it all out to God, you have the Pharisee over here looking over in disdain at this person and thanking God that he's not like that person. That's self-righteousness. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. That is the exact opposite. Isaiah 64, 6 speaks of what self-righteousness really is in, it, in the reality of it. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. On our own, in our own righteousness, we would be swept away by the wind. On our own, our righteousness is dirty. It's filthy garments. That's all it is. That's what we bring to God on our own, apart from Him. In Philippians 3.9, Paul speaks about what he's put on as his breastplate of righteousness. Look what he says in Philippians 3. I desire to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the very basis of faith. We no sooner battle against spiritual enemies in our own righteousness than a soldier can effectively fight against the enemy without the breastplate of righteousness. We would be in a world of hurt. So what is this righteousness? And as I read on this and I did some study on this, theologians kind of went two different directions with this. And if you read scripture and if you study righteousness, that word in scripture, it really has two different ways that it's taken. The first one, and usually when I think of righteousness, first and foremost, I think of what is known as imputed righteousness. That's a fancy word, meaning it's given to my credit, given to my account by Christ, nothing I bring. This is the positional righteousness that I have in Christ. This is justification. This is in the courtroom of God, I am declared not guilty because of the work of Christ on the cross for me. And this kind of righteousness is already put on. When we receive by faith the Lord Jesus Christ, his righteousness is already put on. Look what Galatians 3.27 tells us. It says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with 
Christ. Romans 13, I read that verse last week. We're clothed, we're already clothed. We've already put on righteousness in Christ. It's Him that we've put on. This is the first part of Philippians. We are seated, we are positionally there already. It's a done deal. We trade the filthy garments of our righteousness for his garments. I love that last song that we did because it spoke to that. Garments washed white with snow, right? That is the imputed righteousness part. The list of our past sins is gone. It's been dealt with on the cross. He took away our sins. We are forgiven by him. It's a done deal. There's this great exchange, 2 Corinthians 5.21. If you don't know this verse, please memorize it because it is profound. It speaks of this great exchange that takes place in Christ. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God took Christ who had no sin, who was perfect, and put our sin onto him. The exchange is, when we put our faith and trust in him, because of his work on the cross, we take on his righteousness in him. It's this beautiful exchange. We're trading the sin, the mess, the filthy garments, for everything beautiful and clean in him. That is the imputed righteousness. You don't put on the breastplate of feelings. You don't put on the breastplate of emotions. You don't put on the breastplate of anything other than the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So, yes, we have already have that in Christ. We've put that on. But a lot of the theologians, as they studied this, said it's righteousness in our acts. The second kind of righteousness that's talked about in Scripture throughout is imparted righteousness. It's the practical, everyday living out of who we are. We are holy in Christ. We need to live holy. Be holy because I'm holy. It's that call on our lives to live accordingly to who we are in Jesus Christ. It is the story of Ephesians also. We're seated with him in the heavenlies, but guess what? We need to walk every day, day by day, Holy, righteous. We need to be doing things that are righteous and living those things out and trusting Christ. Just like we had to trust him to come to faith in him with the imputed righteousness, we need him to do the daily walk, don't we? The same thing is true, but it's a different kind of a righteousness. So the question is, which one is it, Ken? Which one are you gonna go with here this morning And as I usually do when somebody asks me that question, I just say yes. The answer is yes. It's not an either here. It is both, and you could argue, and it needs to be both because that's the story of our Christian lives. I found this great quote, and I just wanted to read this to you. The completeness of pardon for past offense, that's the imputed righteousness and the integrity of character that belong to the justified life, that's the imparted righteousness, are woven together into an impenetrable vest, this breastplate of righteousness together. Isn't that beautiful? 
Knowing who I am in Christ, knowing what I'm to be doing in Christ, it's woven together. It is both. And again, that is the story. When we talk about putting on, and when we talk about it in relationship to putting on Christ, or when we talk about putting on or taking off new clothes and our old self, new self, there's verses that speak to both sides of this. There's the already put on, and then there's the need to put on. When we talk about this imparted, Ephesians 4, 24. We've already studied this back in chapter four of Ephesians. Paul tells them, you need to put on this new self. You are a new self in Christ, but guess what? Daily, every day, when you get up, you need to put it on. Put on this new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, righteous acts things that glorify God. Without positional righteousness, practical everyday righteousness would be impossible because it's done in the strength that God provides for us. So let's talk about this breastplate a little bit. Now here's just a picture of what a breastplate might have looked like. And you know, I looked at this and I thought, man, I wish I had abs like that. You know? Yeah, very aspirated, yeah, very much. It's, it's a lost cause, trust me, at this point in my life, it ain't gonna happen, but wouldn't it be nice if, I never had that, ever, in my life, but you know, we can, we can dream. So the idea there, it was this metal covering. Now, if you study Roman history and warfare, the breastplate of righteousness changed over time to become a little bit more flexible, a little lighter, so that as they moved about, they weren't weighed down with what you saw in that picture. That was very heavy, but very solid. Obviously, it was a good protection, but it did change over time to become more, you know, strips of metal, maybe tied together by leather straps. And so then it could flex, and it was a little lighter. But this whole idea of protection, in fact, it was referred to as the heart protector for obvious Reasons. It was covering from the base of your neck down to your belt all of your vital organs, your heart, your lungs, your intestine. They were all part of the protection that was there, protecting this heart. The belt that we studied last week held things together and it brought unity with all of the things, but it didn't really give a lot of protection. Whereas this breastplate was all about protection making sure that you were ready for the battle. Now, when you think about the breastplate, what it's protecting here, first and foremost, there's the heart. And in biblical language, the heart meant your thinking, your will, the center of who you are. Jesus said, out of the heart comes the, the man, right? You live out of what's already here in your heart. That breastplate is protecting and covering that heart, who you are, how you think, your decisions that you make, your will. But also part of it, and I think this is an important part, is the intestines, the guts. We say in our language even today, I just felt it in my gut that it was wrong. Have you ever used that expression? Your intestines, that deals more with your emotions, your affections, Bowels of mercy, good Old Testament term, right? This idea that your intestines are your 
feelings, your emotions, your affections. You want those protected just as much as your mind and your will, all together with the breastplate here. It's protecting all those things. There's a verse in Proverbs 4, 23, and you've probably told your children this as they've grown up, and it's good for all of us to hear, but it says, above all else, put on the breastplate, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it, Proverbs 4, 23. The heart is that reservoir in our lives. Change begins there, change comes from there. If the reservoir is polluted, guess what? It doesn't do any good to work on the pipes and the valves because that's the source. If your heart is evil, the rest of you will follow suit. It comes out of that. Even around Portland, if the reservoirs that we have here in the city of Portland are protected by a fence, a large fence. Now, there's times where people hop the fence and they get in and want to do harm to the reservoir. That's drinking water, it's important. And we need to protect our hearts. That's what God's word is telling us. If the heart has captured the whole person, my mind, my will, my affections, my feelings and emotions, all of them are given over to the enemy. So it's prime importance. The Bible has a lot to say about one's heart. It warns us to avoid a double heart in Psalm 12 too. It, avoids, it tells us to avoid a hard heart in Proverbs 28. It speaks about a proud heart in Proverbs 21. In Hebrews 3, it warns against an unbelieving heart. In Matthew 24, Jesus speaks about a cold heart. And in Psalm 51, David speaks about an unclean heart because of his sin as he's praying for repentance and coming to God. So this breastplate of righteousness protects our hearts and our intestines. Our vital organs are protected by it but it also provides assurance against doubt and guilt. We need the belt of truth to protect against Satan's lies. We saw that last week. That's the weapon that he's using there, and we need the belt of truth. We need the breastplate of righteousness because Satan is an accuser. Revelation 12, verse 10, there's a picture there of Satan accusing, standing before God, pointing his fingers at Christians and accusing them before God. That's one of his names. That's part of his weapons. That's what he loves to do is accuse you and me. We need to put on the breastplate of righteousness to guard against guilt and shame and doubt, all of those things that he loves to bring into our life. I don't know about you, but we're in this process. Because of COVID, Christmas got delayed, and so now all the Christmas decor is, a lot of it's still up in our house. So we're in the process probably this afternoon. We'll start taking Christmas decorations down, okay? And people decorate their houses for Christmas in different ways, and I get it, but there's one decoration that is, to be honest with you, and if you have this, by the way, I I apologize, but to me it's a little creepy, and it's just a little weird. And what is it? Well, it's this. It's Elf on a shelf. What is going on there? I don't understand. So, and maybe you do, and I get it. It maybe has special meaning to you, and I apologize. Okay, but I saw this picture, and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Why is there a guy 
on the shelf. I just kinda, I had a lot of questions about this one. That's even more creepy. This is a live human being sitting on a shelf in somebody's house. What's going on? Well, here's the story in parentheses down below this picture. It said, this gentleman here in Boston would come to your house dressed as an elf and sit on your shelf live for 100 bucks a day. I thought, you know, that's a pretty good gig, you know, to go out as a live elf for, in people's homes. So, again, why? That's just a, it's just a weird. What would cause a person to sit on a shelf. I want you to think about that for a second. In relationship to us, what would cause you and me as a Christian to sit on a shelf? Why would I put myself on a shelf? Here's some reasons why. Maybe because I have a lack of assurance of salvation. I don't really think that my salvation is real. Maybe I think God doesn't care for me, doesn't love me, or maybe I feel like God's angry with me. Or maybe I just struggle with a sin and I I just don't have the victory in my life that I know I should have. Maybe I just don't have any joy anymore. I'm kind of just going through the motions, quite honestly. And what that causes in my life is for me to put myself up here on this shelf, collecting dust, instead of being in the battle, instead of being in our our walk, doing things for the Lord that we should be doing. Don't let yourself become on the shelf of life. Think about that today. Here's the deal, this is what Satan wants for us. He loves the fact that we wanna be on a shelf. He would prefer us up on that shelf rather than down on the floor walking around doing something for Christ. This is how God deals with our sin versus Satan. Let me just read this to you so you can get a sense of this. God takes our sin and convicts us in love. Satan accuses us in hatred. See the difference there? God convicts of present sin. What's going on right now? Satan only brings up the past. Oh, hey. Look at you, what you did there. God convicts us using his word and the Holy Spirit. Satan uses feelings and lies. God convicts us drawing us closer. His conviction is to draw us to him in relationship. Satan, his guilt moves us further away from God and I would also each other in community. God's conviction leads to devotion. Satan's guilt leads to depression. God helps us look ahead in hope. Satan wants us to look back into our past in despair and to give up any form of hope that we might have. I came across this in one of the commentaries, and many of you may be familiar with John Bunyan. That name sounds familiar. He was a 17th century writer. His most famous work was Pilgrim's Progress, It was next to the Bible, which is the number one bestseller, most read book of all time. In fact, there's nothing really even close. This is number two, Pilgrim's Progress, in all the history of the world. So it is a well-known book, and he writes about that. But he also wrote another book, kind of his own spiritual autobiography called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And here's what he says in his book. 
He says, one day as I was passing into the field, this sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. With the eyes of my soul, I saw Jesus at the Father's right hand. There, I said, is my righteousness. So that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God cannot say to me, where's your righteousness? For it's already right before him at his right hand there in Christ. I saw that it is not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness is Christ. Now my chains fell off indeed, my temptations just fled away, and I live sweetly at peace with God. Isn't that beautiful? That is an understanding of where his righteousness is. When Satan attacks us with his accusations, and he will, when people attack you with accusations, and they will, when we attack ourselves with accusations, and we will, we need to put on this breastplate of righteousness and understand that I have this defense against all of those accusations. I can be sure in Christ. It's a beautiful reminder of that. I also need to put on this this breastplate to avoid legalism and license. These are the two extremes in the Christian life. If I have on the breastplate of righteousness, I avoid legalism because I understand that my righteousness has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with what I do. It's not about pleasing God here. It's about trusting Him and who I already am in Him. So I don't get caught up in trying to do all these things to please Him, legalism. On the other side, however, on the other extreme, is license, which says... I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven, I am, you know, the ticket's been punched, right? So therefore, I can pretty much do now what I want to do. And you see this oftentimes, Christians using this as an excuse to sin. You know, after all, God's forgiven me, so what's the big deal? And so, again, it's not about using grace as an excuse to sin, but seeing grace as a means of empowerment to live a more righteous life. It's this, avoids that extreme. There's an illustration I think of in regards to this. As a Christian convict, ex-convict, I was on death row before Christ. I had nothing to look forward to other than death in my sin. However, Christ came along, died. I put my faith in him. I am free now from that prison. I am free from that life sentence that was on my life. So here's the question. As, as, now that I'm free, now that I'm out of the prison, I'm smelling the fresh air again for the first time, I have two choices here. One is I can use that freedom and live a new life or I can use that freedom and go right back into the same lifestyle that got me there in the first place, which makes absolutely no sense in the world. Romans 6, verses 1 to 5, is a powerful passage that speaks about this very thing. What shall we say then? Here's the question. Shall we go on sinning, license, so that grace may increase? After all, I have God's grace. I'll just keep sinning and get more grace. 
What's wrong with that? Here's his answer, by no means, absolutely not. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's a baptism passage. We are identified with Christ in his death and burial, and we are raised with him to live this new life. Coming out of the water is that symbol of the freedom that we have. So we don't, we're not legalists. We're not just living in license. We live in Christian liberty right in the sweet spot of who we are in Jesus Christ. I have liberty in him, but not liberty to do what I want, liberty to do what he's called me to do because of his power in my life. We need to put on this breastplate also to avoid emotional wounds. When we protect our heart, our thoughts, when we protect our feelings, our emotions, our affections, we can avoid making some really poor decisions in our life. For example, how many times have we said this maybe even to people? Because I was feeling depressed, I dot, dot, dot. Because I was feeling unloved, I fill in the blank. Because my affections were drawn that way, I dot, dot, dot. Because I was so angry and bitter, I... Because I didn't trust God's word, I... Think about the harm and the pain and the wounds we could avoid if we just protected our heart and our emotions and our will and all of those things. How many of us are still bearing these emotional wounds in our lives because we didn't have that breastplate in place, ready to go? So how do we put on this breastplate? Some final thoughts on this one. Number one, fasten it to the belt of truth. These breastplates came with loops or buckles that attached it to the belt. We talked about that last week. The belt goes on first. It is primary. But secondly is this breastplate of righteousness, and it's attached to truth. It makes sense. The truth of who we are in Christ and how we are to live in Christ. That's what it is attached to. Romans 6, 11 to 13 Here's what he says going on in that chapter a little bit later. In the same way, consider yourself, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I fasten this breastplate of righteousness. I have it in place because it's attached to truth. I'm considering the fact, the truth, that I am dead to sin, I'm alive to God, and I'm in Christ. Those three things. It's attached to the truth of those three things. Secondly, I say no to sin. Sounds like the 1980s with the Reagan administration. Just say no to drugs, right? But there's something powerful about the word no, isn't there? There's something powerful about just saying no. So in verse 12 of Romans chapter 6, here's what it says. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Say no. You have the power to do that. Do it. Don't let sin sin be your master. It's not. 
And then the third thing, verse 13, surrender to God. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God, those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. You surrender to God. Don't allow yourself to be an instrument of wickedness. That's not who we are. That's not who we're called. But instead, surrender. Give yourself to Him. Let Him use you as an instrument of righteousness to do things that benefit His kingdom. Romans 12.1, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable, pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's the same thought there. Seek His righteousness. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these other things will simply be added to you. Guarding our heart involves asking ourselves these questions. What am I spending most of my time thinking about? What am I spending most of my time seeking after? Where are my affections? Where are my priorities in this life? Am I seeking to follow God in obedience or using grace as an excuse to sin? We've already talked about that and what that leads to. And then finally, and again, it always goes back to this, Ephesians 5.18. Put on the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine. Don't be controlled by alcohol. Be controlled by, filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is the thought that has been following us from 5.18 all the way and continues on here in chapter 6. That's how we live in our home as husband and wife. That's how we live parent-child relationships. That's how we live in the employment area, slaves, masters, all of those things. That's how we deal with the armor and the spiritual battles. We rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to end with this today, and I want to give you a challenge and something to think about this whole week, okay? So here's some questions to ask yourself And I would actually love to hear back from some of you about these things. Number one, question number one, how do I put on the breastplate of righteousness? How do I put on this breastplate of righteousness, number one? Number two, and I mentioned this last week, putting on the armor is not just me putting on my armor and standing out there all by my lonesome. That's not what spiritual battle's to be about. It's a collective thing. We're in battle as the body of Christ. The believers, we're a family. We do this together. So my question goes that direction. How can I help others to put on their breastplate of righteousness? Think about that one. How can we put on the breastplate of righteousness together in community? So those are three questions I want you to think about. I'd love to hear back from you. How can I put it on individually? How can I help someone else put it on? And how can we be doing it collectively as the army of God here at Clackamas Bible Church? Again, I pray that God would use his word to bless you all today. Amen.